Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We're going to start off with today's question from Blast from the Past, and that is to... This is what you need to think about. Name a private investigator training school from the early 1900s. And we're going to be talking about that at the end of the show. So you want to be a PI? Have you ever thought you wanted to be uh, a private investigator? Are you curious, an excellent listener, resourceful, tenacious, flexible, creative? Can you think on your feet? Have you always thought you could get to the truth? Norman Tillman, the author of Private Investigation 101, will tackle all of these important questions. She's a private investigator with over 25 years' experience and ex- has successfully located over a 1,000 persons and is known for her tenacity. Norma's background includes 11 years working with law enforcement, two years insurance fraud investigations, and over 20 years of private investigation. She's authored four books. She's telling me she's working on her fifth. So besides Private Investigation 101... Uh, she's written How to Find Almost Anyone Anywhere, The Man with the Turquoise Eyes, and Other True Stories of a Private Eyes Search for Missing Persons, and The Adoption Searcher's Handbook. She's also appeared on Oprah, The View, Case Closed, CNN News, and NBC Nightline. Good morning, Norma. Welcome to the show. Good morning. You know, I might also mention, Norma, my friend Vicki Childs, who also has an Internet radio show called P.I. Answers on Here Woman Talk, um, told me this morning that you were on her show, too. That's right. Yes, Dickie Childs and I have known each other for years. That's great. She's a good friend. Yes, she is. So, Norma, you told me you came from a long line of law enforcement, and you were in law enforcement yourself. How did you get into the private sector? Well, in law enforcement, I burn out after 11 years. I had enough and thought, I think I need to try something else. I just wanted a different challenge And before I knew it, attorneys were calling me, asking me to find a missing witness or a missing heir. Well, all I'd ever found were the ten most wanted and criminals no one else could find. Mm -hmm. So when they asked me to find a witness or an heir, I couldn't believe I actually had a trail to follow. And so it turned out in order to work for the attorneys, I had to have a private eye license. So that's how I became a private eye. I never set out to become one, but then once it happened, I just... I love the uh, 
the challenge. And uh, now you're you're licensed in Tennessee, correct? Yes, I'm, you... I'm licensed in Tennessee. Okay, and what is required in Tennessee to get a license? Well, we have to take a written test for a, an individual license. We also have to take a test for a company license. We're required to have at least 2,000 hours of investigative experience. We're, um, they give us tests on how to, for the company license, how to run a business and things that you're not taught in law enforcement, things that you have to know to be a private eye. We need to know the laws. We need to know when not to cross the line, what our job involves and not what someone else's job involves. So we just really, they just test us to make sure we understand the law and what our job is, is, is involved. Mm-hmm. What is involved in our job, I should say. And is it, is it, it is required to have a license to be a PI there? Yes, it is. Now, and a lot of, there are a few states that aren't licensed, but most states it is required to have a license. Uh, I know in California, um, our licensing rules are just a little bit different. Um, we're required to have worked 6,000 hours as an investigation. Um, some law enforcement can qualify for some of that or all of it, uh, depending on what they've done. And um, then we also have to take a test as well once we complete the 6,000-hour requirement. Right. And, and in order to have, uh, well, any individual license has to be with a company. So that company has to be licensed. So someone just starting out can start out working with another company, and then they can branch out and get their own license after a while. Right. Now, so you say, is there a difference in Tennessee between an individual license and a company license? Yes, there are two separate licenses and two separate requirements and two separate tests. I see. Okay, so for an individual license, what would you, what would you be required to do? Well, that's uh, no felonies. You know, they do a, a complete background investigation on you. They do your fingerprints. They make sure you don't have a criminal history and uh, that you do have some kind of experience. Again, you have to have 2,000 hours to get a, even an individual license, 2,000 hours. In the past, you were grandfathered in if you had a law enforcement background. or uh, And in order to, to give... Um, classes or to teach others, you're required to have a college degree. Hmm, I see. Okay. And I did, I failed to mention, too, uh, that uh, in California as well, um, we have to submit our fingerprints that are sent in to Department of Justice, California Department of Justice, as well as the FBI, um, to see if we have any criminal history in our background. We also are required to have uh, 12 hours of continuing education every two years. So we can have six hours this year and six hours next year, but a total of 12 hours of continuing education every two years. Okay. All right, that's good. Do you so, have to have that? Okay. And who? what kind of a person would you think is best suited for being a private investigator? Well, all the the qualities that you mentioned before, they have to be uh, decisive, they have to be innovative, they have to be able to react to the unexpected, they have to be able to make a split-second decision, they have to know when not to cross the line and, and break the law, they have to be um, tenacious, 
Uh, they have to be, I, I, I call it nosy. Okay. <laughs> they have to have a normal, natural curiosity, which I think most people who tell me they would love to become a private eye, that's, they say I have such strong instincts and intuitions. Well, that's part of it. You do develop very strong instincts and intuitions. Mm-hmm. And if something doesn't look right, feel right, or sound right, it probably isn't right. Sure. And, of course, if you're, um, I mean, this sounds like uh, a given, but you have to be a self-starter. Yes, you have to be totally independent and able to make decisions with, I mean, you never know what's going to happen when you're working on a case. So the unexpected usually does happen, at least it does for me. Every time, you know, I'm working on a case, something that I didn't expect is going to happen. And I just have to react to that. I have to be able to make a split-second decision of what to do. Right. And it's not exactly an 8-to-5 job, is it? No, it sure isn't. It's not 8-to-5. It's not uh, dull, boring, or routine either. It's always a challenge. Something different. Every time the phone rings, it's a different type of request. It's not the same thing over and over. And you never know. It's sort of like feast or famine sometimes. Sometimes the phone doesn't ring, and... And there's no case to work, and then sometimes you get 10 cases at one time, mm-hmm. and you just get overwhelmed. But during the downtime when it's not, when you're not busy, that's the time I like to use to do other things. For example, I love to write books, and I love to, uh, I have several websites that I work on, and I can just find so much to do that mm-hmm. if I don't have something to work on, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what prompted you to write uh, Private Investigation 101? Well, years ago, starting around 1991, I was invited to speak in Phoenix, Arizona, to a convention of professional investigators that included retired FBI agents, retired law enforcement, as well as lots of professional investigators. And the room that I was in was packed. It was standing room only. And it was the first time I'd ever spoken at a professional conference. And I knew I had to grab their attention. I knew I had to say something uh, because these people knew ten times more than I did, probably. But they had to to listen to me that, for that one hour. And, I mean, the first thing I put up there, the guys went from leaning back in their chairs with their arms folded to <laughs> picking up their pen and raising their hand and saying, would you repeat that? What did you just say? <laughs> and so I got their attention, but the bottom line was, I was just there to speak, and I had nothing to sell. And all the other speakers had books and tapes, and and I thought, hmm, the light bulb came on. It's like, I need to write a book. So that's what started me to write a book was I was asked to speak and had nothing to sell. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. And have you had a good response from your book? Oh, my goodness. Well, the book How to Find Almost Anyone Anywhere was completed in 1994, January of 1995, I was on the Oprah right after the book was ready, and she put the book up, you know, and said, this lady can find anyone anywhere, and here's her book, How to Find Almost Anyone Anywhere. It sold 30,000 copies that day. My goodness. I found seven, well, I found 30 people for Oprah, but she only used seven to reunite on her show that day, and... um the next thing I knew, she reran the show three more times that year during sweeps. She got her highest ratings off that show. My book became a bestseller, 
And as a result of being on Oprah, two weeks later, the Vicki Lawrence show called, and then the next show called, and the next show. I went to over a 100 shows finding missing people. And, of course, each time I was on a show, the book was mentioned, and the book kept selling. Mm. My publisher said, you know, the, the shelf life of a book, of most books, is only six months. The bookstores will only leave them out for six months, and then they replace them with the next, you know, bestseller. Interesting. Well, mine stayed in the bookstores and and kept selling for the next five years. And every library in the country ordered my book. There were at least sixteen thousand libraries ordered the book, and they said that people would check the book out and not bring it back, so they'd reorder another book. The libraries, you know, the reference section of the library turned out to be one of the best target markets for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and ha- let's see, that was in 1994. Has the Internet changed your work in any respect? Well, of course, since, I mean, when I first started out, I physically had to go places to look for information. And, of course, now there are professional databases and lots of free sites on the Internet where, I, I mean, I can just Google something and probably find what I need just by putting in the certain keywords on Google. It's that easy sometimes. And then sometimes I have to go to the professional databases. But I think there's almost always a way to get information, just figure out, you know, where would I pick up a trail on someone or where would I find this information a lady emailed me just this morning and said, my sister's been missing for years, and um, I don't know if she's dead or alive. I have her Social Security number and date of birth. Is there a database for unclaimed bodies? And I, Or she said, is there a place to find out if a body has not been claimed? Mm-hmm. And all I did was Google unclaimed bodies or mm-hmm. uh, databases for unclaimed bodies, and I came up with a whole list of places she can contact to see you know, uh-huh. if maybe her sister was deceased and no one claimed her body. So, Norma, people listening would, would listen to what you just said, um, people who aren't private investigators, and say, well, why do I need a license if it's, if it's so easy? <laughs> it's not always that easy. That's just for little things. There are some things, just common sense, that you can find on the Internet. But... Again, a professional licensed investigator will have access to much more information, and they will have many more ways of finding someone. For instance, the girl who contacted me looking for her sister had never thought of just sticking it on Google and to see where to, to look for an unclaimed body. Mm-hmm. It never occurs to people who are not trained, you know, where to look. They Basically, they look in the phone book, and that's it. So how do you find information? What what kind of steps do you take? Well, depending on what information I need, there's almost always a way. Many public records, for example, just about anything at a courthouse, a county courthouse, is on a database and is available to the public. It's a public record. So, uh, for instance, a divorce record. In many states, divorce records are available just by asking for them. Marriage license. Birth and death records are different. Birth records are protected. Some information is considered private and personal, and there are certain privacy laws that uh, allow only the person 
that it pertains to 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 request the information, such as medical records or bank records. You know, private eyes don't necessarily have access to that type of information. It's personal. It's private. Now, with with the right um, reason for needing to get that information, there is a way to get it, just like a subpoena. You know, you can always subpoena records if you have to. But hang on, hang on to person, that. Norma, hang on to that. Okay. Um, We'll be right back with more talk about how to become a PI. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F-R-A-N-C-I-E 
at PISDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Norma Tillman, an accomplished private investigator and author, and I have been discussing the ins and outs of becoming a PI. Norma, you were just talking about um, how you go about finding people. Yes. Talking about the public records. Yes, there are many public records at a courthouse or at a library. And another thing that we talked about is that private investigators with with experience, we think a little different and we react a little different, but we know how to ask questions. And sometimes we know if one question doesn't produce results. For example, I called a lady at a college one time and I needed a a new address on a college graduate, and she says I'm not allowed to give out that information. Boy, Mm -hmm. when somebody tells me they can't give me something, my mind goes into uh, what can I say or how can I convince this person to give me this information. So I rephrased the question. I said, well, I don't want to get you in trouble, and I know you're not allowed to give me this information, but... Could you call the person and give them my name and number and have them call me? And it works. It's like, oh, she said, yes, I can do that. That won't cause me a problem. And I've had that happen over and over again where people say, I'm not allowed to give out that information. Well, would you please contact this person and and give them my name and number, and they can call me, and that way you don't give me any information. Mm -hmm. You see, so I can... I sort of rephrase questions, and uh, one time I called in North Carolina. I was on the Sally Jesse Raphael show in New York. We needed to get in touch with someone by 4 o'clock on Friday when the courthouse closed because we needed that person to be in New York on Monday morning. And it was 3.30 in the afternoon. The courthouse was about to close. I called from Tennessee to North Carolina. I said, Please give me some information. I need to get in touch with this lady. And, of course, they said, you'll have to come over here in person to request that information or write us a letter. We're not allowed to give this information on the phone. Well, that person, I knew I was not going to get anywhere with that person. So Mm -hmm. I said, thank you very much. Turned around, called right back, same number, asked to speak to someone in the filing room or where the records were. And another person answered the phone. And I said, by any chance, do you ever watch the Sally Jesse Raphael show? And have you ever seen those reunions on TV? And the the girl that I was speaking to said, oh, yes. She said, I cry every time they get reunited, every time someone gets reunited. I said, well, how would you like to be a part of making a reunion happen? She said, what can I do for you? I said, would you please look up this record and give me the information I need so that I can get in touch with this lady. We want to reunite her with her daughter on Monday morning on TV. She said, I'll be right back with you. And she got the information, came back and gave it to me. Again, you know, so sometimes if you say too much, you know, if you tell too much, they won't help you. If you don't tell too much and if you tell just enough to make them interested, you know, it works. So you learn to develop a way of asking questions and thinking outside the box. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm totally outside the box, and sometimes I live outside my comfort zone, but I have to step out to do whatever it is I need to do. And you mentioned, Norma, um, professional databases. Could you talk about that a little bit? Because I I think um, people need to know that you have to... 
Yes, you have to be a licensed investigator, and they will verify the information to make sure you're legitimate. And they also have uh, on the professional databases, which are compiled from many public records and other sources, and it's information that private investigators need, um, we, can, we can access those databases, but we also have to say we're using them under which laws we qualify for this information. Mm-hmm. So there are privacy laws and there are laws that, inv- that allow us to access certain information, but we have to state on the professional databases whether or not we qualify to use this, this information. So we have to we have to go by the law and we have to do it the right way. It could backfire on us if we tried to get something illegal that we're not supposed to have. Right. So, right. Yeah. So we have to do things the right way. And I, I always say, if you have to lie, steal, or cheat, you're not a good investigator. There you go. If you have to make up a lie or tell a pretext to get something, you're not a good investigator. I find that telling the truth. I tell them who I am, give them my phone number, tell them whatever they want to know about me. Please check me out. I'm legitimate, and I'm telling you the truth. This is what I need the information for. And it works. The truth always works for me. And let me just mention a couple of of these professional databases because they are my sponsors on this show, IRB Search and Merlin uh, Merlin, uh, Data. Information I love both of them. Both yeah. of those. I've been I've been using those for so many years, and I seldom need to use anything else. Those have everything I need. Well, and and there's quite a process to get uh, authorized to be a subscriber. You do have to, as you said, you have to be vetted. You have to have um, you have to provide your license. They check you out and. In some cases, if they're giving you information, they make actually make a site inspection and check to and, see and you are. And it's okay as long you as you're telling the truth and you're not doing anything wrong. There's, they can do whatever they want to. It doesn't bother me. Okay. All right. So, how do you when somebody calls you, Norma, to locate somebody? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh, what do you? What kinds of things do you ask them? Because you know there are stalkers out there. Sure. First thing I want to know, yeah, why are you looking for this person? Are you related to this person? And what information do you have to work with? Because if they don't have good information, no use in me wasting my time or their money, you know, for me to look for something if the information isn't good. If they say, well, I don't have the name of the person I'm looking for or I don't know, like, for instance, someone born to an unwed mother and their father was in the military in Germany. All I know, my father was in the Air Force. He was in Germany. Can you look up some military records? I know a, a first name. No, I can't find that person. I'm not going to find that person. I don't have enough information. So I'm not going to take up my time or charge them any money if I don't think I can find somebody. Uh-huh. But if, they, on the other hand, they give me a correct name and if it's a very unusual name, almost every time I can find them. The more unusual it is, the easier it is. The more common it is, the more time it's going to take. Sure. So no matter what information they have to work with, most of the time I start wherever the trail ended. If it ended in 1950 in Germany, that's where I start. I had one um, lady contact me whose son was 28 years old and was going to medical school, 
and wanted to find his father, who was in the military in Venezuela. He happened to be visiting the United States, but he was actually in the Venezuela National Guard. And all she knew was his name, and he was from Caracas. What would you do if that's all the information mm-hmm. you had to work with? And I'm thinking, now, how can I find this guy? There's got to be a way. I called the American Embassy. I asked to speak to the military attache in Venezuela. And I told him who I was and what I was doing. And, of course, he wanted to check me out to see if I'm legitimate. I of course. Said, Go right ahead. Check me out any way you want to. Here's what I'm working on. And this man knows he's got a son and will probably be very happy to find that his son is looking for him. So I convinced the man, you know, this is, this is legitimate. And he said, well, let me see what I can do. Call me back two days later. And he had found the father, and the father was so excited. He said, oh, I can't wait to see my son. And the military attache working at the embassy said, if you ever need a partner, this is the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> so, again, you know, talk. you have to talk your way to get someone to trust you, to believe you. And, and, um, and if you're not doing anything wrong, most of the time, you know, just tell the truth and it works. Sure, absolutely. So what, and we're getting coming up to a break here. Okay. Um, but Let's start on what kinds. What advice would you give to somebody that wanted to get involved in this line of work? Well, I would say um, find out what the laws of your state require. What is it you need to know to take the test? Because they'll give you an outline or refer refer you to some materials. They may even have a packet of information that will contain the laws and the things that that will that you'll need to know. But just Find out what the state requires and also find out who's qualified to give any courses in your state. There may be a list online of people that are qualified to offer training. And if the training is not recognized by the state or if it's not qualified through the state laws, then you might not want to consider taking a training course from someone that's not on the list that the state recognizes. So just check with your state. Check there should be PI laws online, what's required in your state. And I would start with that, see what's what's required and then what you have to do. Once you know what to do, then, you know, just do it. Just do it. Jump in there and go for it. And I might say that on the website for PI Magazine, there's a uh, tab called PI Links that gives every state's licensing requirements there's a link for state associations if you want to get involved and check out state associations. And there's other resources there. There's also uh, somewhere on that website is uh, frequently asked questions for, for people who are interested in becoming a private investigator. So there's a wealth of information. Yes, on the PI, PI Magazine. magazine the, the links on there are just priceless. They're, that's how easy it is. Just get on there on PI Magazine Check those links out and see what your state requires, but also read the frequently asked questions. There's others that have the same questions as you do. So a lot of people just don't know where to begin or how to get started, but that's an excellent way to start. And there's also there's an, there's a national association called National Council of Investigation and Security Services, and there are links on that website as well. 
uh, NCISS.org, and, uh, on that website as well as far as the, uh, uh, state associations. So um, there's a well, there's a number of places you can go to get this information. Yeah. Just be informed. <laughs> exactly. Just be informed. That's uh, really important. So uh, Norma, can you take uh, can you just take a class and get what you need to qualify? Well, you probably should check with any classes being offered to see if your state recognizes that. The person who's giving that class, if they meet the requirements of the state, or if you'd just be throwing your money away and it's not going to help you, it's not going to make you a private eye, it may give you some information you didn't know, but it may not be what you need. So okay, always check out the person, you know, and, and the, the, the class that's being offered to see whether or not it's considered credited by your state. Okay. Norma Tillman has been a private investigator for over 20 years. And she's here to tell us what's required for someone who wants to become a PI. Back in a few. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigation carries such a mystique about it. What is being a PI really like? PI, Nor- PI Norma Tillman, is here to talk about it. Uh, Norman, you were just talking about um, what advice you would give people. Well, for one thing, don't give up your day job or your job that's got benefits to become a private eye unless you uh, have another source of income because when you first start out, it's feast or famine, and you may not be able to to depend totally on just being a private eye. Once you're established or once you, if you have other income, it gives you a lot of flexibility. So that's one thing is don't quit your day job. I had a lady one time who was a paralegal, and I spoke to the Tennessee Association of Paralegals, and she waited till I was uh, till everybody was gone to say, I'm ready to quit my job and become a private eye. I want to be just like you. I said, no, whatever you do, don't give up that job you've had for 15 or 20 years mm-hmm. to start being a private eye. You've got benefits. You've got other things, you know, and you've got a source of income. You Go ahead and get your private eye license. Get started. Get a feel for it. But don't give up everything until you're sure you can make it on your own. So it does help for somebody that's a retired law enforcement officer um, to go into this business because they have typically have an income. Sure, they've got a they've got a retirement check. So they have another source of income, plus they have the experience, and you know uh, they they think like a detective, they act like a detective. Mm-hmm. So they're a natural to become a private eye. However, it is a different ball game. Being a private eye is not like being a police officer. We don't enforce the law. We don't arrest people. But we do other things that the, that law enforcement does. So that background and knowledge is certainly helpful. And, and sometimes there are promotions that are put out there um, that you could take this course or that course and become a private investigator. And that's, that's really not true. It's really not true. Those are people who are just, they're probably con artists that are going to make some money off of you, and they're probably not really qualified to buy your state to give the class. So just check them out and make sure. And and if you have any feeling at all this doesn't feel right or sound right, if they're charging an extremely large sum of money for you to take their course and they say they're going to guarantee it, check with your state and make sure. You know, exactly. check them out. Don't jump in and spend a lot of money on something that might just be a fraud. And there are there are some good ones across the country. Uh, Boston University has a, a great class. Um, um, there's a class in Southern California. I believe it's with UC Riverside. Um, there's the Sam ba- Brown Investigative Career Group. There's uh, a number of them across the country that do a really good job, but it still doesn't mean that uh, once you take that course, you can hang a shingle out and say, I am a PI. That's correct. You still have to go through the licensing requirements. So that course alone is not going to give you a license. Yeah, in, in most states. I mean, think in most only, states, yeah. Just only check about it out and make sure the state is approving it. And if the state says they can give a license, then I, I would suppose they could give one. Yeah, yeah. 
in most, I think there's only about six states that aren't licensed, and uh, so you need to check and find out what's required in your particular Definitely. state. That's so, your first uh, assignment as a private eye is to check out the person that's training you. Exactly, <laughs> Make sure that's they're legitimate <laughs> and qualified. You know, and I and I think find a mentor. You know, you Definitely. mentioned that um, can save a lot of yeah, that can jumpstart your career if you have a mentor, someone with experience that can show you the ropes and explain things and help you. It will jumpstart your career a couple of years. Absolutely. So, um, Norma. What kind of specialties? There's lots of specialties for private investigators. What are some of them? Right. Some some only work just background investigations. Some only work criminal defense cases. Some work divorce cases or child custody. There are some that work just nothing but insurance fraud cases. Do you realize there's $127 billion of insurance fraud claims filed every year? insurance claims that are fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And so there's a huge demand for insurance investigators. There are, uh, of course, missing persons, which is what I prefer. I've worked all the others, but I love the, the challenge of finding a missing person and to reunite a family. And I find missing people who haven't done anything wrong, and it's one of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done. It makes everybody happy. Mm-hmm. But missing persons, um, I just... You know, there's so many different types of investigations. And whatever makes you happy, whatever you have a feel for that you do best, that's what I recommend. It's like what interests you, what is the most challenging or the most rewarding, what makes you happy, and work on that and become a specialized investigator. Sure, there's, you know, like accident reconstruction when there's a car accident, trying to figure out who was responsible Mm-hmm. Um, personal injury cases. Right, personal injury, uh, wrongful termination, discrimination, sexual harassment oh, yeah. cases, all kinds lawsuits. of workplace. How about law, just lawsuits over anything and everything? And lawsuits about anything process, and everything? Process serving, you know, sometimes private eyes do that. Sometimes right. other people do it, but it's not one of the things I enjoy doing. <laughs> right. I don't like to do that. <laughs> And, you know, uh, a lot of, I think what we hear often is a private investigator uh, is the person that follows the cheating spouse, and that really isn't the majority of the work. No, no. Most private eyes at one time or another, especially when they first start out, that might be the only case they get to work, you know, and that might be what, you know, what makes the most money for them when they first get started. So no doubt just about all private eyes have worked on divorce cases at one time or another. But it's not something that I enjoy. I've done my share of it and never, I never want to work another one. I just don't enjoy working them. And, um, they can be really stressful. They're not like TV. You don't just pull up on the curb, have the perfect <laughs> parking spot to observe. I mean, driving around the block and looking for a place to park is not fun when when you're supposed to be following someone or watching someone. You have to, you know, on TV, they pull up, they park, and within a few seconds, that person, the subject, appears, and, you know, and they make their case in one hour. Well, it's not that way in the real world of private eyes. The real world, you might sit on a surveillance all night or all day for weeks, for months. It could go on and on and on. It's just not as easy as they make it look on TV. And now, sitting out there for 10 hours is not fun. <laughs> right. And have you ever worked on a parental abduction case? 
I've worked several parental abductions, and one of the reunions that I did on Oprah, the first reunion was a mother whose daughter was taken by her former husband. He was he told her he was going to take the little girl to Disney World, and um, he never brought her back. She was six years old, and the mother couldn't get anyone to help her. That was years ago, you know, when law enforcement considered this a domestic dispute. They didn't call it a parental abduction then. Mm-hmm. But the little girl had been missing for 40 years, and I found her. She was 46 years old, and I found her in California. The mother was in Reno, Nevada. And the father was in Hawaii. And um, when I c- contacted the daughter and told her that her mother was looking for her, she said, Lady, what kind of cruel joke are you trying to play on me? My mother died when I was six years old. So her father had told her her, told her, her mother died, and she believed it. And for years, she had grieved and had counseling, and, you know, it it just really was a a traumatic experience for this child to grow up without a mother. And here at 46 years old, her mother's back from the dead now. So that was one of the reunions that we did on Oprah that day. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Norma, I want to go back to, um, we were talking about missing persons, and, and and what if you had a situation where a man called and said he wanted to find his high school sweetheart or um, wanted to find a former girlfriend? Would that raise a red flag for you? Well, of course, I used to get lots of letters from prisoners when I was uh, on TV a lot. The, and the, the letter would be stamped with the prison stamp saying this is from a prisoner. So I always knew that letter was from a prisoner. And they would hand me stories like, I'm looking for my sister, I'm looking for my girlfriend, the things you just mentioned. Well, of course, you know, I I would not even respond if I knew it was a prisoner that was looking for someone because I really don't know what the purpose would be. But if I get a suspicious um, request from someone I would verify with the missing person or get their permission. I would tell them, uh, John Doe Doe is looking for you and uh, says you're his long-lost sister. Um, Would it be okay for me to give him your information? Do you want to have contact with him? I would get permission from the person I found Mm -hmm. before I go back to the person who wants the information. You know, I want to make sure I don't cause a problem for anyone. So, yeah. And I think generally um, private investigators accept that as a standard where they yes. don't, where they tell the, the client, the person that's wanting the information, mm-hmm. they can't give them anything, any personal identifying information right. without, without permission. permission. Yeah, right. without permission from that person. Okay, so we're up to another break. More from Norma Tillman and private investigation and the answer to the blast in the past historical questions. Stay tuned. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. It's time for the answer to our Blasphemy Past moment. Name of PI training school from the 1900s. Well, it was C.T. Ludwig Detective Training Correspondence School Corporation, and that is a mouthful. Um, it, this was during the first decade of the 1900s, and this school was incorporated under the laws of Missouri. And the fun part of this is just a uh, just a fun history. Uh, they boasted of having capital of five thousand dollars, fully paid up. And Norma, they had uh, they had ten correspondence courses. They were okay. offered for a dollar per month. Wow! So that's a deal. 
So it took 10 months to, to complete the course. Exactly, 10 months to complete the course. If you wanted to, to finance the course, finance the future in the business, you could send in 250 and then a dollar per month for each of the 10 separate lessons. Wow. And so $10 or $12.50, that was a, a really exciting offer. Um, then once you completed the, the uh, and graduated from the course, they sent you a badge, a fold-out wow. wooden ruler, the old oh. kind of wooden rulers, with, school, with uh, the school advertising on it, of course. Of course, yes. And, and an instruction book. When I first started out, all I had was a pen and pad, a, yeah. just a paper and a pen. <laughs> right. <laughs> they also told you your name would appear as being available for hire. And funny, in the uh, school's promotion, they provided samples of the average wages at that time. Mm-hmm. And at the time, farmhands, including their, their board, would make 20 to $30 a month. Uh-huh. Um, a stenographer would make 40 to $75 a month, a mm-hmm. bookkeeper about the same, uh, somebody that was a machinist, maybe 75 to 85 a month, wow. a fireman mm-hmm. at 60 to 75 but a detective, a detective would make 100 to $300 a month. Wow. According to their advertising. That's about what some make today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And then they had pictures and testimonials of the students that had graduated and made uh, detective work their career, and a 15-page booklet. Wonder where they advertised that back in the 1900s. They didn't have the internet. Nope, I have no idea where they would have advertised it. But I remember growing up. You probably remember this too. The matchbook covers. Do you remember that? Yeah, if and you the take a PI oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, in fact, I, uh, growing up, I didn't even know that uh, private investigation was a profession. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Well, now, wait just a minute. I grew up in an era where we listened to the radio, and they had, like, serials on every week. And remember, I don't think you're, you go back that far, but there was one called The Shadow. Mm-hmm, I remember The and, Shadow. And Mr. and Mrs. Somebody that were detectives. That I don't remember who they oh, were. That's I forgot a good who they question. were. But it would be like 15 minutes on the radio, and you'd stay tuned till tomorrow for the next, you know, and it was always a cliffhanger every day. Right, right. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. But so, I'm not sure in the early 1900s, uh, they may have, you, do you, have you ever heard of the Burma Shave um, signs along the Highway. I remember the Burma Shave. That was before the big billboards. So they would have little signs out, you know, every so many feet. And so they could have advertised that way, too. I don't know. They could have. We're telling our age, Norma. We probably... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. With, That's with okay. age comes I'm, I'm older than dirt. I don't mind everybody <laughs> I don't, knowing it. <laughs> I don't mind either. I don't mind either. Um, anything else you'd like to share with our guests, Norma, that you think would be an important... Uh, important for them to know. Well, I think if they have a desire to become a private eye, they should at least give it a try. If you think you can, you can. But if it, if it is to be, it's up to me. No one's going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. And um, Francie, I know you're going to write a fabulous book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know you're going to do it. But if it is to be, it's up to you. You've got to do it yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. 
The same with being a private eye. Just go in there with uh, a lot of knowledge. Learn everything you can about whatever it is you want to specialize in. And I do recommend you, you're really good at one thing at least. You know, anybody right. wants to start out, whatever is your passion, whatever you enjoy doing, make that your specialty. And let me just say that um, there are, according to PI Magazine's statistics, there's about 60,000 private investigators across the country, and they all adhere to a code of ethics that includes, um, you know, that they respect consumer privacy, that they stay current on applicable laws, they charge reasonable fees for their services, hopefully they update their clients promptly, and they complete their investigations in a timely manner. And that is a standard that uh, yes. I would say uh, we all ascribe to. And I think the one thing it doesn't mention is that having a good contract before you ever start working on a case so there's not a misunderstanding. It's just good business to start out with a great contract and say, this is what I intend to do, and this is what you're hiring me for, this is what it's going to cost. And don't um, don't have any surprises for the client when the, when the case is completed. Yes. You can find more information about Norma Tillman on PISDeclassified.com. Uh, today's featured sponsor is PI Buzz, a blog by Tamara Thompson with all kinds of fascinating gems of information and resources. It can also be found at PI's Declassified under the tab called um, PI Resources. Next week, my guests are the widely traveled PI couple, Phil and Yen Johnson, coming to you from Portugal. They always have interesting stories, so tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.